Hi, and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. I've got Aesop's Keys to Profitable Marketing. I've got Dr. Betsy Kruger on the line. Betsy, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so eager to talk to people about the book. Now, um, my first question here is, uh, of course, why did you decide to write the book? Well, I was noticing how our economy was tanking. It was just getting from bad to worse to worse to worse. And with all my expertise, I figured certainly there is something I can do to help our economy recover. So I thought through all the different principles that I'd been teaching and realized the 80-20 rule is exactly what can help us spark our profits. This is a rule that's actually proven to be a universal law, that the top 20% of whatever it is, whatever inputs you have, the top 20% produce 80% of your results. So this is a predictive power that you know that by targeting the top 20%, you will get 80% of your results. Hmm. You know, that's very true. I remember Campbell Soup many years ago did that uh, research, and they discovered that 20% percent of the people that were buying were actually making 80% of the profit. And they took, I think it was a billion dollars out of their marketing budget and rewarded those uh, that particular group and uh, did very, very well. So for sure, a very important uh tool to be aware of. Now, um, when you, you know, you, you've, you've got all this knowledge and background, when you decided to write the book, how long did it take you to actually gather the information or actually get the information uh, down so you could actually produce a book? Well, my first step was to write a textbook for my marketing research students. And that book is called Top Market Strategy, Applying the 80-20 Rule. I was teaching both marketing research and doing the theses for about 90 kids every semester. And I figured if they went through my book, they would understand very quickly and easily how to do research and how to work their marketing plans so they're more profitable. But this was disallowed. So I had finished the book and then I opened it up for any professor who wanted to use it. That was one step. The second step was realizing that the academic market was very limited and that I wanted to open it up for all business owners, not just students. Students are more after knowing what they need to pass their test rather than practical uses of the 80-20 rule. So that's why I wrote the second book, which is Aesop's Keys to Profitable Marketing. You know, we, we, you talked about the 80-20 the, the rule, talked about trying to reinvigorate the the American uh, economy and really I think the secret here is is for small businesses to get really into it because a large a very large part of the economy is driven by small businesses and a lot of people think it's all about big business that's where the money is it's not there's only about 18,000 businesses that are not small businesses in the United States I was amazed and actually small business drives the employment I think it's 70% of the employment. And in virtually every industry, around half of it is by small business. What do you think is the best approach for people to, to, to grab this book? Now, it's a, it's a relatively short book, but you know people are very strapped for time these days. Can people get away by jumping into any section of the book, or should they kind of read it cover to cover? 
you know, if you're really lazy, what you can do is get on my website, which is BetsyKruger.com. That's B-E-T-S-Y-K-R-U-G-E-R. And you can read the little synopses of every chapter and then pay $7.95 and go to the worksheets, which are called Spark Profits, and work through those worksheets, and that will revamp your entire marketing plan. So you don't have to read the examples and the demonstrations and the see the graphs and all the rest. You can just jump right to the practical how-to by getting on the premium log in for $7.95 and just work it through by yourself. Mm. So um, do, do you recommend people to do that instead of getting the book or should they get the book and then do that? What, what do you, what's the best way to do it? You know, I really don't think people need to worry about this being a heavy, boring book like most business books. To tell you the truth, my mother, who is 103, I gave her the book, and the next day she had finished it and had a good time reading it. So she enjoyed it. So I don't give anybody an excuse for not just, as some of my friends say, they just can't put it down. Lots <laughs> of fun examples and business examples, and it's all very consistent, so it reads quickly. Mm. Now, um, for business owners that really want to get a jump on being more profitable with their marketing, for you, what do you think is the biggest stumbling block for, for the average business person? I think most salespeople understand that the top 20% of their clients generate 80% of their profits, so they know to focus on them, duplicate them, and find uh, that they their profits quadruple. It's, that's pretty well known. People respect that. But I think the problem is in the product and service category in that so many businesses think, oh, I'll add another product, and we don't want this product to die. We'll just keep trying to feed it more resources and keep it going. So they have a big bundle of products and services, and of those products, only one generates massive amounts of the profits. One product will generate 51% of your profits. The top 20% generates 80% of your profits. So the trick is to get rid of all these excess products and services that just confuse the buyer and find the one that's really doing so super well and then clone it so that you have very similar products and services that appeal to that same uh, set of key customers. And by simplifying their product portfolio, their profits will skyrocket. What's the best way to handle that? Should they use the the pivot technique where they you know go out one direction if it doesn't work, change and then change and change? Tony Robbins, he's way up there, and he believes in the eighty twenty rule. And I've been to his workshop, and what he does, he has this massive group of people in the thousands, and then he upsells them to a like coaching, which is a year worth of coaching, let's say half an hour. Um, every 10 days and sells it, let's say, for about seven or $8,000. So he upgrades a group of people, and he knows of that, let's say, 10,000 people in his audience that 2,000 will be going into coaching, and he's prepared for that. And of that 2,000 that enjoy coaching with him for a year, they have a whole lot of um, coaches, that's 4,000 
that will want to do individualized sessions and so on. He he knows that he can work his massive workshop and get the top 20% and then the top 20% of that, which is 4%, and then the top uh, 20% of that, which is 1.6%, and just keep, he keeps upgrading the level of the products and services he offers. So it's still on the same whole mission that it was at the beginning, but it just higher levels, enriched products, more personalized, customized products and services. And those few people will pay massive amounts to get better services. What about for people that have a business already? It's not a consulting business. It actually has a physical product. Since it's a universal law, it will work for any product or any service, any situation whatsoever. So Bob, throw out a name of a product and we'll figure out how to really use the 80-20 rule on it. Um, I would say, how about uh, a guy called Joe and he has a company that sells signage? Okay, signage is not place-bound. In other words, his customers can be pretty much anywhere in that he can deliver the signs to their physical location. And let's say with the signage, he finds out that um, realtors really love his signs. And not only does he provide the signs, but he puts them in the metal um, gadgets that go in the ground. And he has, let's say, reflectors on them so that you can really see at the night, at the night in the nighttime who it is and how to call the realtor about that particular um, property. He really upgrades his signs, so for sure people love his signs. And, of course, the realtors across the entire country or area uh, love his signs, and he just targets those realtors that want these signs that are easy to put in the ground and that have the reflectors so people can read them at night and really see what they need to know. Okay, so at, that's a, a first-to-market strategy, which is awesome. Um, what happens uh, with, and this will happen because going back to the 80-20 rule, is uh, after you develop a, a particular market and you're first-to-market after uh, X amount of time, unless you have a, a copyright or, or whatever on your particular things that you put to market, um, other people start copying you. So what's what's the best way to do not even worrying about people copying you and just push forward and try and grow or um, keep adding to your particular product or doing both? Since he's first to market, he has the advantage of working with the real estate association. So he's top of mind and he can go to these associations and teach the realtors how these signs really work for their business and just sort of capture their attention and through the associations, his power of influence, be the uh, top-of-mind company that people go to when they need the real estate signs. Mm, mm. Okay. So basically, it, it really definitely, have, being first to market is a huge, a huge advantage for sure. Yes. Now, um, for, for a listening audience that um, are interested in moving in this type of direction, using this type of uh, strategy, um, what would you recommend uh, they do? Or what, what's a tip that you can give them that will help them move in this direction other than having to go to your website? Well, of course, get my book. And then you <laughs> can work it through at your leisure 
and figure out there are the 12 chapters of the book, and these are the 12 aspects of a strategic marketing plan. It starts off with your mission, then you figure out what you should specialize in, what you should delegate, who your target market is, and then the four P's of marketing, product, price, place, and promotion, then prospecting, customer service, allocation of resources, and then getting you to actually do what you're thinking of doing. Now, you've got this broken down into basically um, lots of different ways for people to, to get through the book because you've kind of got a table of contents. You've got a list of figures and a list of tables. I'm a little curious about with your tables, why did you um, use so many tables in your book? Is it just to help people get the concept? Each graph is a picture of the 80-20 rule on graph paper. And each one works it through slightly differently. The inputs could be customers, could be products, could be customer service, could be promotions, whatever it is. And the output could be with promotions, its effectiveness, with um, products and customers, it's the actual profit. And sometimes it's used in the reverse. Like with customer service, so much of your resources are going toward making those few customers that are complaining happy. Let's say 20% of your customers generate 80% of your complaints. And even if you satisfy them, there's something inherently wrong with your products and services that they're not built for that particular type of customer. And what's so much smarter is to delegate those customers to a competitor who does specialize in what they're looking for. You can't change your company just for that set of complainers, but rather focus on satisfying and delighting and just enhancing your products for those few, the 20%, that really drive your profits. Just don't try to be all things to all people, but rather be a master of what you can offer best. And you're doing people a disservice to try to keep the people happy when in fact there's some competitor down the road that could just bless those customers and they'd be so ecstatic about those other products and services. When you were putting this book together and, and uh, you know developing and stuff like that, for you, what was the, your biggest take-home? What was your biggest aha moment? I had been going to sessions that taught you that you need to put more stories in your content because that's the lizard brain. We learn and remember by stories because they relate to our own personal lives. I had it all figured out, what I was going to say, and then I realized I've got to put the stories in. And I was thinking, well, what stories? And then I remembered the Aesop fables. There are so many and he was wise amazingly wise, human nature has not changed over time. And yes, in fact, he knew what we need to do to be better at marketing. And I figured out by reading all these fables, which one fit each of the 12 aspects of marketing. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating because, you know, going through the book, there are some, it reminds me of my youth. I go, and they really, really ring home. So it's a very clever, clever mechanism. Um, what is, you know, your favorite um, Aesop fable or the one that you enjoyed the most because it fits so nicely into a chapter? 
I think Vincent Lane Golden Eggs is the one that really strikes home with me. I was a marketing researcher for many years, and I was hired by a particular company. And within two or three weeks of being hired, I went to some of my past clients, and I was getting 10% commission plus a nice salary. And I switched them over to my new employer. I had $78,000 coming to me in sales commission because I really brought in not only massive projects, but these were annual projects that kept going year after year. And they were like one was a convenience store. So there's gobs of convenience stores. Another was Caremark, which has gobs of um, prescription benefit management. Lots of repetitive marketing research projects. And these, of course, brought in the money to my new employer. Well, (laughs) he couldn't have all the money I was bringing in, and he decided not to pay me. Mm, Oops. And we negotiated. He gave me $20,000, and his brother was a lawyer, (laughs) so I didn't try to sue. And then he went back to my clients and figured, you know, I was, just a woman, just not much importance at all. They did not want to work with him, and he lost all those projects. But, of course, they wanted to work with me because I had a track record. And what I say is, was I a goose? I was a goose. If I did that in three weeks, I was a goose that would like old makes for him. Well, that's the thing. is, If you find a hot salesperson that's, that's bringing in money, and after a while you realize, gosh, I'm, I'm paying out all this money, you've got to realize like the only reason you're paying out all that money is because you're making the money that this person's brought into your company. I was telling a girlfriend of mine who sells advertising in um, local packets, and she was so concerned because she needed to hire a salesperson. And I said, it won't cost you a thing because whatever you pay them, that means they're bringing in that much revenue for you. So there's really no worry here. You make sure you get somebody who's a top-notch salesperson, and you'll be blessed. Before we go, is there any one last tip you'd like to give our listening audience? I would like to encourage you to buy Aesop's Keys to Profitable Marketing. And if you're curious, just get on my website, BetsyKruger.com. Thank you, Dr. Betsy, for coming on the show. Great. Thank you so much, Bob. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.